Good morning. You know we can't start the day without some daggone Christmas music in the Christmas season. Woo! Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Earl Ivy on 103.5 WNHH. Live streaming across all the sites. New Haven Independent, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, X, wherever else Harry got us playing. <laughs> I hope y'all are good. I feel good. I hope everybody's good. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, still another bright day, and uh, I'm 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 pretty pleased about that. Uh, I think it's supposed to be cold, and then uh, and then uh, back up to uh. You know what we what we used to. Uh, um, warm weather. <laughs> I'm telling you, Connecticut is feeling like Virginia. <laughs> I, I listen. I'm not no kind of ways mad. No kind of ways. No kind of ways mad. I'm gonna take it. So uh, that's what we're gonna do. Um, but I think it's going to get cold for the next day or so. And then, uh, um, we're going to, um, we're going to, uh, what was I saying? The weather. So it's going to be cold, I think today, tomorrow, and then back up to, uh, A nice a nice 50 degrees and then maybe some rain at some point but uh so far though we've been uh this has been quite mild i know other places have been catching it but not us so i don't know what's happening this is not this is not the connecticut of my youth i'm here to tell you it is not the connecticut of my youth and I, i'm good with that <laughs> You know, as I um as I age, I'm a, I'm here to tell you I'm I'm good with that. I'm so good with that. You know. Uh but uh anyway. That's the way of the world. So anyway, let me let me see what's going on in the world. I got a great guest come guest coming on this morning. I'm excited to talk to them. Um, uh, let's see, let me tell you real quick, because they added someone at the last minute. Uh, well, soprano, American um, uh, modern modern uh, opera, uh, Julia Bullock is coming on and uh, Christian Reif is coming on, uh, the American modern opera company. And uh, they're coming on at ten fifteen because they're they are doing a production of El Nino Nativity uh, reconsidered, and this was a piece written specially for the uh, American 
Modern Opera Company. So they're gonna come on and talk about opera. I'm gonna go see them Friday night, and uh, I'm I'm delighted to uh, to uh, have that opportunity. I, I I'm actually am a fan of opera. When I was newly married, my husband and I would go to the Met. Uh, and the first thing that we saw was Carmen, and then we saw some other some other operas after the fact. But uh, you know, we we. Uh, we liked opera, so uh, we like it. So anyway, uh, let's see what else is going on. So yeah, so they're coming on at ten fifteen. I'm I'm delighted and excited to talk to them, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, I got a text from my coach this my my uh, my coach this morning, my trainer. So he's not going to be in the rest of the week. But he's like, oh, you could, you could, uh, you could go in because I could see you <laughs> work on your cardio. I might, I might, I doubt it, I doubt it, but I might, I might, I might go in later, just because, uh, you know, just because, uh, you know, just because. So I'm just waiting. Why isn't this going through? No, that's all right. I'm going to uh, take care of somebody. Then I'll I'll do some more. Forgive me. I'm a. Uh, my body just hurts. I, I think um, uh, uh, what was I saying? Um, I need a new mattress. Because every time I think it's not my mattress, it's just me aging. I go stay someplace like in a nice hotel somewhere. And I get up and I don't have any of this pain. So I really think it's time for a new mattress. So I think the, the next contract that I get, because, you know, I, I'm a I'm a gun for hire. Um, <laughs> the next the next contract, somebody asked me to train or do something. I'm going to use that money for uh, a new mattress. You know. I'm gonna uh I'm gonna um uh, I'm gonna use that uh for a new mattress. That's what I'm gonna do. So anyway, that's my that's my uh my goal. Because I've been messing around with this for about a year. Seriously. I I I noticed, you know, my body would be achy, achy, achy. Then I'd go stay somewhere. I think I noticed it when I went to Dominica. Oh, you know, wherever hotel I'm in. And I'm like, oh, I get up and I'm like, I don't feel that whatever. And then I come back home and then a little while into it, I start to get this achy feeling. And I was like, I bet you it's my mattress. 
it's time for mattresses only last about 20 years. And I've had this mattress well over 20 years. I mean, this was this was the mattress I bought when we got married. So uh, I would have been married 25, 26 years, maybe 27 years, because my my oldest daughter is 26, I think. So uh, so I would have been married as long as she'd been in the world. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, so 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 I'm so uh, so now I'm gonna start mattress hunting, and I know Harry, you already mattress hunted because you bought a mattress. I'm think I'm thinking about one of these little hybrid things. I'm thinking about one of those. You know, so. So anyway. So that's, that's it. You know, I'm. My body is achy. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know. How do you know when you need a good mattress? And I think my body is telling me I need a new mattress. You know. Uh, and uh, I think that's quite problematic. And, uh, how do you know when y'all need a new mattress? How do you know? And, you know, my mattress doesn't look awful. It's it's fresh looking. But I think it's just worn, like it's just worn down now. It doesn't look worn down. And I've got a... Um, a topper on it, right? Um, you know, like a you know, one of these little things that cradle you, like a little looks like an egg carton. So I put that on top because I've always had stuff on the bed, right? I never just slept on the mattress, mattress proper. Uh I had a feather bed for a long, long time. I miss my feather bed. Maybe, maybe I throw a feather bed on my bed. <laughs> you know, uh I had a feather feather bed for years and years and years and I kept getting getting them because I liked the way I felt I don't know so maybe maybe I buy a feather bed in the meantime to go on top of my mattress so that I can you know so that I don't feel this pain so maybe I you know maybe that's maybe that's an answer maybe that's an answer I'll see and I had a feather bed on this bed so, uh, so I don't, I don't, I, I would imagine, you know, I remember my mom bought me a, my mom bought us a queen bed. My mom bought us, a, my husband and I, a queen size bed for a wedding present. And, uh, and then we bumped it up to a king size bed. Uh. You know, yeah, see, I'm waking up with aches and pains. So I don't feel the, I don't feel the, uh, the springs or anything. I don't feel, it's not that, it's not that. So, but my back though, and I'm waking up with aches and pains. So yeah, so if you wake up feeling beat up rather than refreshed, it's time you get a new mattress. 
And if you get up, if you wake up with pain and it gets better throughout the day, it's time for new. And, 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 and yeah, that's true. I, I, I've been, uh, I've been getting up feeling like, oh my God. And it says how often here's, here's, here's how often, um, you, you are recommended to change your mattress based on this material. So if you have a latex mattress, 10 to 15 years, a memory foam, lower quality every five years, better quality ones every 10 years, inner spring, five to 10. So, so hybrid seven to 10 years. So what this is telling me, I am 10 years overdue in any direction. <laughs> I thought the average lifespan of a mattress was 20 years, 20 some odd years. It's seven to 10 years. Oh, give or take, there's some, some mitigating factors. Wow. What are the signs of a bad mattress? Well, I don't have any coils, so it's not squeaking. Uh, deep sagging indentions, ha indentions have formed. The structure is failing and you are no longer obtaining a restful sleep. Okay. Yeah. Yes. No. So while not all mattresses last 20 years or longer, if you kept your mattress in good condition, you may be able to keep it uh, 25 years. I, and I'm already past that now. And I've kept it nice. I've kept my mattress nice. I flipped it. I did all the things. But it's time for you to get a new one. So, and and it's probably got full of dust mites. Even though I vacuum it, I disinfect it. I do all the stuff, but it's time. <laughs> oh, Lord. Now I got to go get a, I got to go get a mattress. I, you know, so now I, I gotta, I gotta wait till I get another contract of some sort because I, I don't have money like that. So, so, you know, I'm a working girl. I'm a private dancer. So I gotta, uh, I gotta dance for money. So I gotta get a new mattress and, and, uh, that's what I need. Okay. Settled. So the next contract that I get, and I've got one in the hopper and I've got two more coming. I'm in one now. And I've got two more coming uh, out of those. One of those is going to buy me a new mattress. Now I've been, I've been taking a cursory look at mattresses. They are not cheap. <laughs> now, if I was a young woman and had a sugar daddy, a sugar daddy would be buying me a new mattress, but I'm, 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 I'm an old woman. And you know, and if I get a sugar daddy, he going to be dead. <laughs> Plus, I can't answer to nobody. So <laughs> unless I get a sugar daddy who likes a woman who like barks at them. And I don't mean bark at them like be mean, but it's like, I don't have time to see you. No, I don't want to see you. <laughs> see, that's the kind of mistress I would be. And they think, I don't want to see you. <laughs> then run me a mattress. <laughs> Tuesday. Oh, hell no. I want to see you. Now run me a case of champagne that I like. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm going to go on a mattress hunt. Harry, you got notes from when you was on a mattress hunt? Because I know you was serious about your mattress hunt. Them damn things ain't expensive. I don't know if I want one of these things that does these beds that go up and down. Although it might be useful because I like to sit in the bed and read. 
I don't know. And then I'm thinking, do I really want another king size bed? I mean, could I get away with a queen size bed? You know, discerning minds want to know. So these are the things that I'm wrestling with. I have a king size bed. It takes up so much room in my room, which is fine. I don't care. Um, you know, but I, I think maybe another king size bed would be fine. And I have a split king, like the 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 foundation is the split and then the mattress, which is, you know, easier when you move stuff in and out. So maybe, maybe, maybe a, a king. I'm going to look. I, I've been thinking about these uh, hybrid mattresses, you know, the kind that come in the bubble, you know, shrink wrap. And then you like cut it and it's like. Whew. So I, I've been thinking about that. And now I've seen one for fat people, big fig. And uh, I like the way that looks because, you know, I'm a fat person. I, I you know, I, I'm not banking on losing weight. I mean, I'm working out. I'm doing all the things. I'm on Ozempic. I'm doing the stuff. But, you know, whatever. But even still, what's the harm? So I'm thinking about that. So this mattress thing, I'm telling you this morning was where I got up this morning. The first thing I did was take an ibuprofen because my body is aching. And I was like, it is time. It's like, you know how Ma Mariah Carey sings that? It's time. Yeah, it's time. It's time. It's time. So time to go hunting. Oh, and let me just shout out my friend, Will Spivy. Thank you. High five for being my guest yesterday as his books. It was lovely to talk to him. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. So it was nice to talk to him yesterday. So back to the mattress dilemma. Because I'm not going to spend no time uh, talking about genocide in the world. I'm not going to talk about it in Gaza. I'm not going to talk about it in the Congo. I'm not going to talk about it in Guyana. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Wherever genocide is, I'm not talking about it today. I, I just need a day where I'm not talking about it. Because I'm just, I don't, I don't know how we, I don't know how we call ourselves humans. I don't know how we, I don't know how we are so hyped up to put God in everything. But yet, when it comes to these matters of war, it's as if nobody has heard of God. <laughs> it's as if God does not exist. <laughs> oh, I'm going to mass kill a whole bunch of people because, 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 because. I'm just going to kill people. And then I'll go light my candles in a minute. <laughs> Let me go kill these people right fast. And then I'm going to go light my candles and pray and put oil on the altar and do all the things. And, and and sing the songs. Uh, but let me go kill these people right fast. <laughs> Such BS. Who, what are we doing on this planet? We, we are ruin, ruining this planet. And we are racing to extinction. Did I say I was going to not talk about genocide this morning? I thought I said that. But <laughs> clearly... Now let me tell you something with these people who are coming for these college presidents. And they're all women that they're coming for because they would dare do this to men. Because these these college the the woman the president from Penn Penn State and uh, Harvard the the sister and uh, and the other sister from the other school and you know they were on a panel and uh, I don't know they were having a conversation about hate talk hate speech 
And uh, and I guess, you know, they, you know, these presidents, few people, few people have public relations training where they know how to answer questions succinctly. These are academics running academic houses, places of worship. <laughs> and so they don't have the tools, the skills, or the know-how to sort of combat these things. You know, when I see academics speak, and they get in hot water and they're in hot water. It's only because they think they're talking to other academics and they think everybody else will understand academics in the way that they do. And that uses that language and they don't. When you're talking to the press and, and the press that we know it today, you know, uh, is more infotainment than news, except for smaller local outlets that really care about the news. These big outfits don't care about the news. What they care about is sound bites. And what they care about is, you know, carrying a narrative that gets people to watch their mess. That's how I see it. I'm no news anchor, but, you know, I play one on the radio. So, when they they didn't they didn't seem more they didn't seem outraged enough about this is standing with Israel and Israel needs to defend itself. And you know I I just feel like you know bandying about anti-Semitic anti anti anti-Semitic stuff we're we're bandying it about like candy so that the meaning of it is going to get lost at some point if we keep slapping it on everything that we don't like that feels uncomfortable and listen Jewish people come for me if you want to I'm here to tell you I, I'm on the side of humanity always always on the side of humanity I don't want nobody messing with Jewish folks I don't want people killing Palestinian folks I don't want people killing Congolese folks I don't want people killing boys in the hood I don't want any of that I'm never going to be on the side of that unless you kill my family. Then I got to kill your family. <laughs> see how that, see the craziness in that. And that's, and that's how we are operating on the world stage. So we, we have the, we have no grace for one another. We have no grace, none, no grace. And I'm not talking about grace for like, you know, the ninny headed stuff that Trump says or these GOP fools, ship a fool say. I, we don't need grace for that. We need to beat that back with intelligence and right thinking. But for any everybody else, we could afford a modicum of grace around answering these questions in these charged times. And these times are charged. You, you People can't hear anything because they're angry they're afraid, they're upset, and they're in retaliatory, retaliatory mode. Give us back our people. We'll stop killing your people. Give us back our people. We'll let some aid. Like we're we're bargaining with people's lives because they're angry. We never get to the heart of why are these Palestinian people mad? Why are the Israeli people feeling like they have to wipe these people off the planet? Why are the resources in Congo um, um, are more important than the lives of the people who live in the Congo? So these are the things that we are not getting to the heart of as humans. Did I say I wasn't going to talk about genocide today? Because I'm going to let it go now, for right now, because I want to move on to other things. Well, I'm just so annoyed with this. 
you know, we are we are we are cheapening the word uh, anti uh, semiticism. We're cheapening it by throwing it on every little thing that makes everybody uncomfortable without actually being anti-Semitic. You know, maybe we need a primer on what is actual anti-Semitism, you know, and stop putting it on things that are not that. Questioning policies is not that. Questioning, you know, challenging people's humanity is not that. But what do I know? I'm no rabbi, just playing one on the radio. <laughs> just just playing one on the radio you know and you know and it, it just always gives me pause because this time of year which is the holiest time of the year for all the descendants of Abraham all of them the three of them Jewish Christians and Muslims this is holy time and and you would think it's not the way everybody's carrying on. Ooh, he's... Get back to your roots of your faith. Everybody, go to your corners, open up your Torah, your Bibles, your scriptures, all the things, and get back into the word of that because y'all are just out here wilding, wilding. The whole world is chaotic. And maybe it's always been chaotic and we're getting the news about the chaos around the clock. So that feeds into it too, right? And you know, we got we got we got people driving vans and buses around with pictures of kids and where they live in these universities, um, saying that they are anti-Israel. And then we got people beating up Palestinian kids because they're Palestinian. And then and then we throw in words like desecration. On, on because somebody climbed up or at Yale campus and put a, a Palestinian fat flag on the menorah. That, that's not cool. We know it's not cool, but is it desecration? I think not. Y'all know what desecration is. That's not it. So stop putting these terms on these mild offenses. And and maybe I don't get to say it's mild offenses because a menorah, I appreciate a menorah just like anybody else. I'm not Jewish, just playing one on the radio. Just say it. But we have got to get a hold of ourselves. We have got to get a hold of ourselves. And the folks that was doing the protesting told that cat, get your ass down from there. Get your ass down. We're not hanging no Palestinian flag on a menorah. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not doing that. Get your ass down. I'm just paraphrasing. <laughs> I imagine that's what I, if I was there, that's probably what I would have heard. That's not how they said it. When I'm a black woman of 60 years old, that's how I talk. Get your ass off that manure right this damn minute. You know, black mama comes out. I'm telling you, any organization worth their salt, any religion worth their salt ought to have some black mamas in it. Because we just get right to the truth telling. We don't play around. I don't know no black women over a certain age that misses words. We don't play that mess. We do not play it. Let me tell you something. If Biden sent some big mamas from uh, uh, Mother Zion Church, Mother Mother African-American Zion Church. Uh, they would deal with Netanyahu. They would say, listen, sit your ass down. This is what you're going to do. You're going to stop this ceasefire right the hell now. <laughs> and you're going to extend the knowledge branch to them Palestinian people. And you're going to apologize for this behavior. <laughs> and then 
they're gonna send it. We're gonna send another bunch of sisters, big mamas from from uh, the Baptist churches to Palestine. Say, listen, Hamas, stop this foolishness. This is not how you win anything. You just making enemies. Stop it. Stop trying to kill people. I get. I we understand occupation. We black women from America. You don't think we understand occupation when we see it? We understand. But listen here. We're going to set up a table. We're going to have a cookout. We're going to get everybody around this table. And we're going to talk about how we're going to move forward without violence. Do you know who we are? We are Black women from America. We know something about nonviolence, protesting. Y'all need to adopt that. Because what you're doing right now is hurting your own people. You see, send some sisters over there. Send some sisters over there. Some sisters, some sisters from these churches. And I guarantee you, we will write this world. We will write it. Because this makes no sense. Cease fire and cease fire now. Stop it. Send some black women over there. And not young sisters, not these TikTok babies. Don't send them. <laughs> well, you send a handful of them because you need some documentation. <laughs> and they, you know what they will do. They'll get over there with the big mamas and they will create a whole video. Just FYI. <laughs> Gregory, you have to do them now unless you want to. Oh, okay. So I'm just saying. That's it. That, listen, I'm no diplomat. I just play one on the radio. So, hey, uh, uh, I don't know if Susan Clunard is listening this morning, but tell Terry uh, good morning and I hope he's feeling better. I hope he's feeling better. He fell and broke his ankle. You know, I, he, and you know he's in great shape. So this must have been a hell of a fall. <laughs> this must have been a hell of a fall because he's in great shape. He is, he is a man. He's a 50-year-old, 50 50-something-year-old 50 man. He's in damn good shape, rock climbing the whole bit. And not to mention he is fine as all get out. She got the finest husband. But, you know, Susan Clinard is a beauty herself. Like, she is a real beauty, a real beauty. That dark, smoky uh, Elizabeth Taylor hair. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm done talking about genocide. <laughs> I'm done, I say. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Tired of these people with their foolishness. I was like, we just need some sisters. You know what? We need some black women to just go all parts of the world, just handle it. Because we are tired of this foolishness. Because there's so much other things that we could be doing in this world. We could be taking care of people without any problems. We could just do that and live peacefully. Why don't we, why don't people want peace? I don't understand this. And you know, Venezuela, cool your jets. You don't have no money. And I know you're desperate to get some money. I, I get it. Desperation to make you do all kinds of stuff. Ask me how I know, I know, I know, I know. So if you put that on a, on a whole nation, a desperation over a whole nation, then it'll make you do stupid stuff. It'll make you do genocidal stuff. <laughs> oh, these people, these people. I'm still watching Suits. I've not been watching my Hallmark Christmas movies this year the way that I normally like to watch them. So I've got to get a plan together so that I can get to watching these things. I, I don't know why I'm not watching them the way that I want to be watching them. It's most troubling to me. Most troubling, most troubling to me. Uh, 
you know. Yeah, that's true. I'm with you. Anyway. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Right? Because God knows we are, we are, we are, we are in some kind of mess. We are in some kind of mess. Speaking of this time of the year, uh, let me get into the Advent because that, that's that's calming. It's always calming. And Anru is here tomorrow. Anru is here tomorrow, so uh, it should be a, a nice a nice time had by all. I have to check. I feel like the tomorrow is a challenging day. I feel like that because um, I feel like I was uh, planning something, but I don't see it in any of my notes. So maybe I just had that date in my mind for something other than what I was going to do. And I, you know, I hate that. Uh, no, I haven't written down. Hmm. I haven't written down. I think there was another date that Somebody wanted me to do something. Well, well, whatever it is, <laughs> it'll uh, it'll show up. It'll it'll show up. So, anyway, let me let me get to some Advent reading because you know there are people out here who look forward to me reading. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start sending off law school applications this weekend. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I've maxed out um, rewriting and editing and all that stuff. You know, I think I've, I think I've maxed out. So I'm freaking out because I need to. I need to get that done. And I've I've got folks in my cohort who've been accepted to to law schools of their choice. So I'm excited by that. Like that gives me such hope, right? That folks are being accepted. So so yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh I don't know where I am. Let me see. Let me see what I what I got. Uh 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 avid reading. There we go. Silent night, silent night, silent night. Today is December 13th. Happy birthday to all the peoples. So you know, I'm I'm reading the writings of Hannah Brencher, who um, does these Advent readings and does the world needs more love letters, and um, she's a writer, author, she's a mom. 
I believe she's a, a Yaley, was a Yaley, is a Yaley. Once you're a Yaley, always a Yaley? I think so. So anyway, I've been following along the season of Advent, reading her works. I don't read them on the weekends out loud. I mean, on the radio, because I'm not on the radio on the weekends. But I'm here Monday through Friday, and uh, I'll give you the Monday through Friday. And uh, you can you can you can go and search her and and read this yourselves, because they're so good. So anyway, these are her words. These are not my words. And uh, wherever she says king, though for the Christ, I always just say light because I never think of the Christ as a king. I don't I don't like that attachment. It just runs contrary to what I believe and what I understand. So. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this is how I'm rolling. So these are her words. In 1816, German Catholic priest uh, Joseph Moore introduced his congregation to a new hymn he'd written. It was Christmas Mass. They sang out from their pews the tune he penned in the weeks prior. It's a song he was inspired to write as he went for a walk one evening and stopped to observe his small Austrian town blanketed in snow. It's a tune that over the years has come to mark the holiday season with the picture it paints. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. So, Harry, you know what? Today, when we roll out this, or tomorrow, let's play, you know, the definitive version of this song by the Temptations. <laughs> That's the only version we recognize. <laughs> uh, though these words were penned hundreds of years after the birth of Jesus, something about them conjures an image in our brains of what might have been like what that night might have been like. It's an idea further imprinted on us by silent nativity scenes and Christmas plays that end with the serene setting, Mary cradling her newborn baby, Joseph dotting on the pair, the cows and the sheep adoring the babe from a distance, and the shepherds watching on. An idyllic night of quiet. But the scriptures never say it was a silent night. It is. It likely wasn't. Any woman who has ever given birth can attest that it is likely not a silent night, a quiet night. Childbirth isn't a silent process. Newborn babies aren't silent. Animals aren't known for their quiet qualities. And yet I think we all marvel at the moments within our holiday seasons where everything seems to go still. When our little worlds feel at peace, when the kids are in bed, when you notice the lights across a cityscape as you're driving home, when that fire, when that first snowfall blankets the scenery with a stillness that feels unattainable in the hustle of daily life. Sometimes the moment only lasts for five minutes, but we breathe it in, and it's almost like the brief stint of the quiet refuels us, brings us back to center, and reminds us to be here now. We become so accustomed to the noise that we barely notice it's in everything. Even on our silent nights, we turn on sound machines so that manufactured noise can lull us to sleep. And yet there's so much power in stillness 
empowering down to be quiet with ourselves. Teresa of Avila, uh, Teresa of Avila writes, settle yourself in solitude and you will come upon him in yourself. Oh, I love that. Chances are we won't have many of these moments of solitude over the next few weeks, but I urge you to fight to cancel the noise when you can see this season. But I urge you to fight to cancel the noise when you can this season. I know this isn't any easy task, but I found in my own life that solitude replenishes my weary spirit. It fulfills me in a way that noise never can. As we read through scripture, we witness the babe in the feeding trough grow up and start his public ministry at 30. We watch him make disciples. We watch him heal and teach, flipping the kingdom of God on its head. In a very public ministry, we watch him often retreat to get away with God, into the silence, into the solitude, into the quiet. If you've never noticed it, look closely as you read the Gospels next time. The number of times Jesus gets away from the noise is astounding. It was a legitimate practice of silence and solitude in his life. Now it rarely goes according to plan, but he still fights for it. He still climbs literal mountains to try and make a rhythm of solitude. If Jesus needed to create space in his days for solitude, how much more do you and I need it? Within our culture, we've become conditioned to believe that silence is not needed. We need more noise to fill our days because we are because, because of who we are without the noise. Who are we without the noise? <laughs> who are we when we pause everything and sit with ourselves? We're conditioned not to want to know what happens when the scenes shut off, the screens shut off and the noise stops. But friend, what if that's the good stuff? What if that's the strength we've been longing for? What if we miss out on entering into the most version of ourselves because we resist the chance to get silent? Get quiet, get away, get away with God. I could probably take the message in a dozen more directions and debate on doing so. But the quiet voice that lives within me challenged me to stop here. To not get overly practical and not give you 10 ways to turn down the noise. You already know how to turn down the noise in your life. You already know you need it. You may hear from God as you quietly listen to your soul. You may not. But there's a whole different spiritual life you will miss out on if you don't fight to turn down the noise and steal away with God. Silence night, silent nights don't happen by accident. We have to forge them. We have to create them in the depth of our, the deep of our souls. Even if the silent night only lasts five minutes before the noise appears again, I know they have the power, the power to change absolutely everything about our inner lives. Here's still this prayer. Uh, the reading uh, was taken from Mark uh, 1, uh, verse 35, and Psalm 37, verse 7, and Luke 6, verses 12 through 13. Here's the still the prayer. Take You know what I tell you every day? Take what you will. Leave the rest on the side of the road for somebody else. 
Dear God, help me forge a silent night within my soul. I'm tired of the noise. I'm tired of constantly needing to be on and producing. I need a breather, a break in the wilderness, just as Jesus practiced when he walked this earth. I know you can show me the areas of my life where I've let too much noise in. Please help me to step back and to step into your presence fully through the power of silence and solitude. Get still, people. You know, in my spiritual direction practice, I tell people, you know, prayer is you talking to God. Silent solitude and stillness is God speaking back. And you cannot hear God if you're talking or if you're moving or if you're doing things. So listen, get still, be quiet, find these silent nights, find the silent nights. And, you know, in this season of mystery, magic and miracles, there is no better time. There's no better time than take rest, to sit, to be still, to look out, to put down our phones, to don't scroll through another thing. Don't respond to that email just yet. Give yourself five minutes of solitude and stillness. It's okay. I know some of y'all can't sit with yourselves that long, but try it till you work it into an actual practice that becomes a habit so that you don't get, you can't go a day without sitting still for a few moments to return yourself back to yourself and listen for the sound of God. That's all I'm going to tell you. I do it all the time. Now, some of y'all might say, well, that sounds like meditation. I call it what you will, whatever the practice is. You know, when I was in spiritual direction school, my teacher would say, this is what you do. This is how you learn how to get still. You, you When you get up in the morning, light a match and let it, and just hold it and let the light, focus on the light. Now, don't burn your damn hands, fools. But light, light is, 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 is very spiritual. And if you don't want to light a match, I have instant matches, matches that when you strike them and you blow on it, it becomes an, a little a little itty bitty incense, which I love. They're great for the bathroom. But when you want a little bit of uh, uh, spiritual awakening, incense matches do a wonderful thing. If you don't want to burn candles, you know, uh, maybe you don't want to burn candles. Or maybe you do. I've got a bunch of candles that I like to burn. I have to hide them from my children because when they come over, all they want to do is burn my damn candles down. I digress. Uh, and if and if that's not enough, uh, I have uh, battery-operated candles that sit on the bench that I made for the art exhibit last year. So it looks like an altar when it's lit up and the beads shimmer. And so it gives me a sense of peace when I walk in my door in the evenings. You know, we're in these, this time where, you know, it's dark at four o'clock. So when I walk in and, and they're programmed for them to come on. So uh, why is Harry in the waiting room? Why are you waiting? I'm about to jump off. <laughs> Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> so anyway, I will be back. <laughs> so fi find you uh, a stillness practice. That's really what I want to say. It might involve candles, it might involve incense, or it might involve nothing at all, but just putting your phone down and sitting quietly for a few moments and resting yourself and being quiet. Turn off the music. And you know, I'm one for music. I keep a lot of music in my house because I love music, but I, I'm also a champion of stillness and quiet. So so anyway, I'll be back. I'm going to be uh, back with uh, Julia Bullock and... Uh, and uh, 
uh, Christian Reif. And I'm looking forward to talking to them about the American Modern Opera Company and uh, this production that they've got coming up of uh, The Nativity Reimagined. El Nino, The Nativity Reimagined. So I'll be right back.
Fall. 
and the promise of ages it did then Crown him again. 
bright Westward leading Still proceeding Guide us to thy perfect light oh, oh. As the kings turned to leave One of them saw a little boy standing by So he knelt down to him to ask And who are you? And what gifts do you bring For the new boy king? I'm called the little drummer boy and I just came to play my drum for the baby. May I? me and my drum Thank you. 
talk on babs rose ivy listen this is live radio live radio live streaming and things technical glitches happen i am delighted uh to welcome this morning um julia bullock who is who is uh nominated for a grammy was nominated in november for a grammy uh for her work as uh in the category of best classical solo vocal album for walking in the dark with the philharmonica orchestra and conductor christian rife Am I saying your name right, Christian Reif? Yep, perfect. Christian Reif, who is conducting El Nino Nativity Reconsidered for this performance. And they are here to talk about the American Modern Opera Company and the production of El Nino, uh, the Nativity Re- Reconsidered, uh, that's coming to the Schwartzman in the in the by Friday. I think it's coming Friday. Friday, it's here Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're coming on to talk about this production about uh, the state of opera, I guess, and, and how did she find her? How did y'all find your way to this medium of music? And and what's oh. the name of that cute baby? <laughs> this is John Lucas. <laughs> oh, he is beautiful. So are, y'all are a couple. See, I didn't get that in the notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we're, we are happily partnered <laughs> uh, all right that's that's a beautiful thing to see beautiful thing to see so tell me about this th- 
this production of El Nino, the Nativity re, re, Reimagined? Yes. So um, the, the original piece, El Nino, was written by John Adams, uh, the composer, and Peter Sellers, who uh, pulled a libretto together from uh, various sources. And it's a Christmas oratorio um, that uh, is about two hours long in the original version. Um, it has <laughs> uh, two... Oh my goodness, and this is our El Nino. Um, it has two, <laughs> um, uh, two choirs, adult and children's choir, full uh, orchestra with extended instrumentation and also um, six soloists. And I fell in love with the piece many years ago uh, while just listening on a recording. Okay. And I um, wanted to Bye find there. a way I wanted to find a way to bring the piece to as many people as possible because the um, the resources needed to put on a large production like that uh, with a symphony orchestra are sort of immense. And so um, I devised this distillation of the piece. Oh, excuse us. <laughs> Listen, um, I've had four of those, so I oh, know. <laughs> I devised a distillation of this work um, to take the full two hours um, and uh, turn it into an hour-long piece for chamber music ensemble and for soloists. Um, and it has enabled a lot of different places like the Schwartzman Center to uh, present this work that I think is just magical and um, tells the full nativity story in all of its miracles and also all of its um uh, extreme challenges <laughs> um so yeah it's uh, so, so a this, piece i'm really passionate a, about it has a very specific latin voice to it though right as i as i'm reading the notes because i get down to it and i'm like oh wait a minute so so it's it celebrates latin american poets and the voices of women and is that part of why it's attractive to you because it's got this this different kind of relationship to to the nativity story yes i mean you know historically when we think about or sorry i i guess i grew up in the episcopalian church so i was indoctrinated with the nativity story or the christmas story um through patriarchal western european lenses most of the time um and so to come across this piece which uh really centers uh. As, you, as you said the uh, Latinx poets and also voices of women um, and focuses on this unique relationship between birthing parent and child. Um, it just, I think, opened up a whole, well, additional lens um, into this incredible story. And um, in some ways, I think it, it takes like the, the most delicate and also the most sort of ferocious aspects of the story and brings them to the forefront. And mm. I think that's a no... Uh, no small part to the fact that women are the ones who are articulating the experience. Oh, I love this. So, so you have a full on orchestra, you've got a bunch of voices, you and some other folks who will be singing like this is massive, I think. And you've <laughs> taken a two hour uh, production and turned it into what, an hour and some mm -hmm. minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the, the forces um, we wrote this for, and I arranged the, the piece now for, um, 19 instrumentalists and four singers. So the four singers um, are both the soloists in the piece 
and also they they um they sing in very close harmony as as the chorus part as well so it's very it it becomes much more intimate and much more um uh both fragile and and quite powerful because they're incredible artists um so it's it's uh it's a yeah we we love this piece so much and and we're so happy to, to make this uh in this distilled version available for more audience members and also more yeah more uh, ensembles so so christian is this a is this is this kind of challenge conducting this kind of music with all these moving parts? Is that exciting to you? Is that daunting to you? Do you like? Oh, oh my God! Why are we doing this? Oh. <laughs> That's only the first day of rehearsal. <laughs> no, it's what we love doing. <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I mean, I conduct all over the the world. Um, I'm I'm the chief conductor in Yevla in Sweden with an orchestra, um, but. Um, this project is very close to our hearts. Yes, yeah. it's a passion project. And, um, but yeah. I think what makes this particular performance really special is that um, every single artist, whether they're a part of the uh, instrumentalist ensemble or one of the four singers, um, everyone really has a um, deep artistic practice for themselves and they invest themselves fully over the course of that hour of the piece. So and their friends and yes, friends, all, all, all friends. friends and all close though. Yeah. So it ends up. Yeah, I think it's just it's a really um, joyful and intense experience. Oh, I love it, and it's perfect for the holiday season, right? Because you know this is the season of mystery and magic and miracles. Yeah. So absolutely, and one one aspect of the nativity story, you know, while we can talk about all the gift giving. Um, and again, the, the promise of new life and children and hopes that we have for the, or what they bring to us, <laughs> um, the promise of, of new life and what that brings to us. Um, I, this nativity story also talks about the aspects of life um, that are inescapable surrounding violence. And so the, uh, reality of genocide and of forced displacement um, uh, and dehumanization. I mean, these are also core central themes to the nativity story, uh, along with all of those miracles. And um, I think that this piece helps to recenter people's meditations on those themes. So it can't be lost. Seem, which we you... seem to need. We seem to need that. I was just going to say, you know, Julia, this can't be lost on you that this is quite timely. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think every work of classic art does that. Um, and really, when, I, when I'm talking about classic art, I'm just talking about pieces that we want to return to over and over again. And every time we return to that material, we learn something from it. So, yes, this is classical music um, because it's transcribed and we're playing on... Uh, Western European instruments, but and uh, using our voices in a bel canto style, um, but really, it's just a, it's just a great friggin' piece. <laughs> I mean, the styles of the piece, uh, and it's really styles because uh, there's there's you know, kind of rock uh, in there. There's some pop. There's uh, um, spiritual gospel as well, but um, and all mixed in uh, together um, with, with the western european classical tradition um so it's it's yeah 
It's very yeah. timely, absolutely. And it's, I think, very timeless. Timeless <laughs> as well. Oh, I love it. So d d does this feel like um, opera is moving in a, in a, in a, a more modern future? Like, is it, is it expanding itself? Like, does stuff like this make opera uh, accessible to, like, folks who probably wouldn't dig opera? Um, I think that when performances are shared and they're centering the, <laughs> and they're centering the human beings who are making the art, um, there is no distance. Um, and that will forever be modern because we're living people, you know, <laughs> um, it's not, um, they're not, uh, museum pieces and we are, we are not <laughs> pieces in a museum either. Um, so yes, I, th I think for, for pieces like this work, uh, which the full iteration of El Nino is also going to be presented at the Metropolitan, uh, opera in, in the spring. And I'll be a part of that as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, also, what's, sorry. sorry. Also, um, if you consider <laughs> the word opera, mm. The, the Latin um, word, it means work. Oh. And so it's not just a, a thinking opera, oh, this is this, this uh, European, Western, old museum tradition of singing, but it is about the work that we, that we are putting in together mm. as a collective. And that is, that is, not, that is very contemporary. <laughs> I, I like that, because I don't think people think about it that way. I don't think people think contemporary and opera in the same sentence. I think they think, you know, the stuff that we always know that we've seen at the Metropolitan Opera House, you know, big costumes and big singing and yeah. and old stories, like old, you know, the Merchants of Venice and da, 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 <laughs> But they are now also, um, of, I mean, contemporary opera is just opera that is written right now, right? And, and, and there's, uh, also, the Metropolitan Opera um, is commissioning, and many, many opera houses around the world are commissioning work that is being written right now that is dealing with all the the uh, the stories and the present um, topics that we are all dealing with. And and mm. so that is exciting. That's also how we keep opera present and contemporary and valid and yeah relevant. You know, I was I saw um, um, shut up in our bones at the Met. Mm -hmm. um, Charles Blow's uh, story, uh, and that was beautiful. And I miss the uh, the X opera, uh, the one on Malcolm, Malcolm X. X. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. miss that. And it had it looked like it visually had all the the pomp and circumstance that you believe operas to have. You know, costuming and lighting, and you know, and lots and lots of people on stage. You know, um, so I didn't get a chance to see that. But I am fascinated by uh, the retelling of of the nativity story from a Latinx voices. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so talk to me, Julia and Christian, how did y'all come to this music, opera in itself? Because y'all look like very young people. <laughs> we look it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> how did we come to this music? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, did not grow up listening to a lot of classical music other than to the Nutcracker and Peter and the Wolf. Um, but I went to a lot of, uh, you know, some performances of uh, music theater and that's, and I, so I, I wanted to pursue musical theater for a long time. Um, but my stepfather introduced me to 
classical Western European music um, when I was in my late teens. And because of the poetry, because of the way that the poetry also was illuminated in the music, um, and also just the amazing capability of the voices that I heard, I fell in love with the repertoire and it just sort of changed the course of my life. Um, but yeah, I guess, I, oh, my goodness, I just came to the material because I, excuse me, Lucas, uh, was, yeah, just drawn, just drawn to it, just um, intuitively, instinctually drawn to it. We have never done, talking about live radio things, I've never done an interview with babes in, in arms on oh, camera. Oh, listen, I, I adore it. Listen, you should bring him to every every conversation because he, <laughs> he, he is a beauty and I'm enjoying sure. this. And, um, but yes, I mean, Christian, alternatively, I mean, he, he grew up uh, playing piano and um, he grew up in, in Germany. He's uh, in Southern Germany. Yes. <laughs> South, South Germany. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, Munich area. Um, and that's where we live now, too. And okay. uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in a very musical family. And, and so music was always all around us. And um, it was a very natural thing to to go into, um, even though there was never any pressure from our parents um, to do that. But uh, now all three kids are in music <laughs> professionally. Um, so, yeah. But it's no. great. I mean, we, we ended up meeting uh, while studying. Uh, we both went to conservatory and, and we <laughs> met at, at Juilliard where we, ah, were, ah. we met at Juilliard where we were still uh, studying. So, um, uh. mm. That's where our relationship began. I, I, I think that and baby music. is going to be a singer too. I think, <laughs> I, think I, hear, I hear the, he can hold a very good key. I hear it. So, uh, okay. So y'all met in Juilliard. Um, do you find opportunities to, to do this kind of music to, to be contemporary with opera movie? Is that, is that your love? Like what is the, or do you go wherever the music calls you? You know what I mean? Like mm. if they call you to, to do something other than you know this do you do it well i feel really grateful that i've been essentially just been able to follow my life's passion uh from the moment that i was struck by this music and um i every single project that i'm involved in i make sure that the people who are involved and also even the subject matter is something that I want to spend my time doing because time, I think, especially in these last few years, it's really shown all of us how precious our time is and we, we don't need to waste our energies or resources on things that um, aren't going to enrich our lives in some way. So um, I, mean, I, can let, I can let you speak for yourself, but I, I do feel that's also certainly true for Christian. Yeah. So, so Julia, are you are you seeing many people of color in this in this world now, like in, in opera and in singing this music? I'm seeing more of it, but I yes, I I'm, am. I'm a patron of the arts. I'm not an you know I'm not up there on stage. So, are you yeah. starting to see more people sort of uh, of people of color doing this music, singing this music, being invited to this music? Yes, and I I, I think um, more people of color are able to sustain themselves as well in this industry because there was definitely a period of time early on when, or earlier on, <laughs> um, when artists of color were 
um, sort of kept to a handful, a very select handful. And um, he slotted into certain roles um, and in order to satisfy whatever um, the needs were for a, a presenter, um, whether they wanted to be socially relevant or, uh, but it, it was um, uh, the, it was, as you said, it was not inviting environment and people had to work very hard, I think, to hold on to the tenuous position that they had. Um, so I, I do feel that our field is becoming more and more open as the months and years go on. And what I think is the most important thing to think about is not just how people enter into the industry, but also can they sustain themselves and actually have a life in music? Um, because people don't usually go into, don't choose to be performers um, unless they're investing themselves fully into it. And uh, it's a real shame when there are limitations, external limitations put on that prevent that life force and drive from really evolving. Mm, mm. So Christian, when you are conducting, I mean, you're, you're, you are a principal conductor. Um, does that, I guess that allows you to, to take other conducting opportunities um, that's, that can fit into your life. Yo, uh, absolutely. Sorry, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I, most of my gigs, the engagements are a week long when I guest conduct in other orchestras. Um, with the orchestra that, that I have a longer standing relationship, I, well, I go there every year or every other year. And then others um, like the orchestra in, the, in Gävle in Sweden, um, I go there eight weeks per season. And others were like the, the, the Lakes Area Music Festival where I'm music director of in Minnesota. I go there every summer and for four weeks to perform. And um, it's it's very exciting. It's beautiful to, to um, have these friendships with the orchestras, with the musicians, and then um, and then make music together. Mm. Now Great. in your in your travels, when you're guest orchestra when you're uh, when you're doing when you're guest conducting, are you noticing the, the differences in the audience these days? Like, are, are you noticing uh, the demographics of the audience, the age of the audience, you know? And do you know um, what sort of music brings a certain type of audience? Like, I know there are people who just only want to hear Mozart. They don't want to hear relatively new stuff. They like what they like. Do you, do you see the, do you find challenges in that? In, in, in deciding on what to play and what attracts whom? I, it's, it, that's a very good and interesting question. And it, there's no blanket answer because also every community is different and every community of every city. Um, and so you want to, to engage the communities of the orchestras of the cities that you are in. And so um, how I program my programs, I always try to find a balance of very, of, of the, um, the canonic, so to speak, repertoire that everyone knows, the Mozart, the Beethoven, the Brahms, whatever. Um, but always have a, a, a variety of pieces on there that are maybe not as known, but are absolutely um, great pieces or have been written by mar uh, marginalized composers um, that I want to introduce 
to the audience uh, and and there are all of the programs all of the music that i conduct that i program i believe in mm-hmm. and i love and so uh it's always a, it's a beautiful variety and um it i do see a shift in in some of the the audiences definitely covid has been a bit of a um well quite a dip in many many cities for audience members um so coming back to the uh theater coming back to the orchestras um is definitely something we're all working <laughs> for um but yeah it's i think uh western classical music uh, any music really has the ability to to move us and inspire us and sometimes hold a mirror in front of us and um inspire us to strive for better and that's what music is for uh-huh. us really and and uh, uh-huh. and to be in community with others to listen to each other and so uh, that's what we try to do everywhere we go and I think that does speak to uh, all demographics and uh, so yeah it's it's a very good question with no blanket answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that no, that's you know because I I, I often wonder because um, you know I, I'm a fan of the New Haven Symphony Orchestra here with Alistair Neal. Yeah, and, he's a good friend. Good friend. Oh, and he's he's just divine, and I love the way that he has um, uh, educated this community on 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 some uh, some composers who would have been lost to history um, had he not come and and the symphony resurrected um, um, some women, you know, Helen Hagen and uh, Margaret Bonds and, you know, and, and folks like that. So, so it's been amazing, but, but um, I've talked a lot with him about how do you balance out, you know, um, some more interesting music, different music than people are used to versus the stuff that people uh, just want to hear. Like people want to know that, you know, they've got, some Chopin on the on the program or some Brahms or whatever it is. And and if it's not a composer that they, they know, you know, how much educating do you have to do to get them up to speed? And hopefully they'll fall in love with it mm. as you present it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I always think about conductors facing that, like, how do I get these people to love this music? <laughs> well, um, I think part, part of our job, not just as musicians, is not just performing the material uh but it's also researching and in many ways yeah we are uh, i hope i'm not offending any anyone who's uh uh immersed in history as their life's work but or an anthropologist but i think we're kind of musical anthropologists and what has moved me so much as um even in my own programming um choices is uh, trying to find the ways that things multi- resonate in multiple ways. And if you can bring those resonances forward consciously in people's minds, when they hear a work that they're already familiar with, but then understand, oh, right, the connection that uh, with another piece that maybe they don't know is through the historical uh, time in which it was written, or maybe the composers grew up or were born in the same city, or um, what, what, whatever it is. And it's like these, just these small things. And again, these are human, uh, these are details about human beings and um, sharing the, the context for why things were written and when they were written. I think that helps anyone, everyone to um, 
connect not only with the music, but then to connect with the experience oh. of listening to the material. And yeah, at least personally, that's what draws me back and back and back into the concert hall and then also into the practice room. <laughs> I love it. All right. So one last question, because I know you, you all have to go because you've got lots, lots to do. Uh, what, are y'all listening to? <laughs> what are y'all listening to? Are you listening to Beyonce? Are you listening to who are you listening to? Are you listening to Samara Joy? What do you what's on your playlist? Are you just listening to classic classical music or do you just like rock out to you know, Aerosmith. Like, what are you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> Although I mean, y'all might research. be a little young for Aerosmith, but I, that's no, not no. my um, point of reference. research, I do listen to a lot of classical music, just kind of to get to know what is out there that I don't know, you know, and, and want to program, for mm-hmm. instance. But our playlist right now, we put a beautiful playlist together for Lucas and, and <laughs> of pieces that we love, of, of artists we love. Uh, whether that's Carol King or oh my or gosh, Beatles yes, or <laughs> Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye, Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Wonder uh, <laughs> Joe Cocker, Ray Charles, and uh, or German. I put some German singer songwriters in there: Konstantin Wecker, <laughs> Reinhard May, and all those. And and we also have uh, <laughs> some musicals in there, musical theater. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's our that's what we're listening to right now. <laughs> but, I, yeah. But my my I would say my like primary love of music um, voices that I return to are m- most like kind of sixties seventies singers, um, or at least were really popular then. So like Nina Nina Simone is um, I just love love her voice and and uh, inter- yes, would you like some more mango? Um, love her voice and inter and just interpretive skills, um, but also I mean my gosh Jimi Hendrix and um mm-hmm. okay lucas it's the end of the interview you got it um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah pink floyd all i mean i, I yeah psychedelic music so you, you seem name. so young to know this music like were your parents playing this music yes. and you just okay they were i mean i yeah right. i grew up listening to lps and like listening to the whole album on an lp you know yeah so, and on on not just in little earphones but uh on loudspeakers so um <laughs> Yeah, I guess my experience with music is like full body. <laughs> and um, I also, I for any performance I'm giving, I'm also hoping the audience is getting like a full body experience. <laughs> I love it. I, well, I I will, my, me and my friends, my friends and I will be in the audience. Okay. Um, hopefully I'll get a chance to say hi to y'all, but I hope you know, do, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to this performance. I, I'm so oh. glad that y'all had time to talk to me today because this really makes me more excited to sort of see y'all and you know hear y'all it's genuinely it's our pleasure, pleasure. Yeah. our pleasure well thanks for having us oh it's my pleasure and uh hug that baby he is beautiful <laughs> and thank Every him minute. for being part of the show today i i absolutely loved it <laughs> so did we thank you <laughs> thank you so much all right i'll see, see you later, on friday <laughs> thank you all right, Harry Joes, we are on our way out. Thank you all for w- another wonderful conversation with uh, Julia Bullock and uh, Christian Reif. They are going to be uh, performing at uh, the Schwartzman Center, and they're going to be doing uh, El Nino, uh, the Nativity Reimagined. Um, and it's uh, uh, the Nativity Reconsidered by the American Modern Opera Company. And uh, I'm I'm fascinated and excited 
So uh, thank y'all. Thank you, Harry. Mm -hmm.